We turn in sacred scripture to Galatians chapter 3. We read this in connection with question and answer 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 6, question and answer 19, which speaks of where we learn of our mediator, and that's in the gospel. And that's what Paul's concern is here in Galatians 3. We will be interacting with uh, a bunch of these verses in this chapter, so it will be profitable to keep your scriptures open to Galatians chapter 3 throughout the course of the preaching. This is the word of the Lord. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently, clearly, set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, that lavishly bestows upon you the same the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. That's what the law is. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. That's not even legal in man's covenants to add or disannul a covenant if it's already confirmed. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, in the plural, but as of one, in the singular, 
and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after Abraham, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained, it was given by angels in the hand of a mediator. That's Moses on top of Mount Sinai. He received the law. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, that that is the object of of our faith, Jesus, before Jesus came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, after Jesus has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture, on the basis of many, that we have the instruction of Lord's Day 6, question and answer 19. Last week, we looked at question and answers 16, 17, and 18. Uh, why our mediator must be fully God and fully man and perfectly righteous in one person. And who that mediator is, it's Jesus. Now, question and answer 19. Whence knowest thou this? From where do you know who that mediator is? From the Holy Gospel which God himself first revealed in paradise and afterwards published by the patriarchs and prophets and represented by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law and lastly has fulfilled it by his only begotten Son. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the last few Lord's Days we have been looking at the only possible way of deliverance from our sin and misery. And that only way of deliverance is this, we need a mediator. God will have His justice satisfied. And the fact is, we cannot ourselves make that satisfaction. And the fact is, no mere creature, no mere created thing can make that satisfaction either. The reality is, With our sins, we've gotten ourselves into such a miserable situation that the only mediator that will suffice 
is a mediator who is fully God, fully man, and perfectly righteous in one person. And we've spent the last few weeks explaining why that's the case. Well, last week Sunday, we ended the sermon by considering the amazing truth that we have exactly that kind of a mediator. And his name is Jesus. Who then is that mediator who, of one, who in one person is both very God and a real righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And that mediator, Jesus Christ, is everything we need and he has done everything that needed to be done. He has obtained righteousness for us. He has restored us to eternal life. And he brings us back into fellowship and favor with God. And even today, he is constantly sustaining us in that relationship. How glorious, beloved, that we have a mediator. We ended that last week. You have a mediator. Well, the question that comes to us now this morning is this. How do you know this? How do you know your salvation in Jesus Christ? Or, to be more precise, as the Catechism puts it, whence knowest thou this? From where do you know this? From where do you hear the glorious news that you have a deliverance from all your sins? Answer, from the Holy Gospel. And so this morning, we take up a study of what the Gospel is. We, we do this in every sermon, really. We expound the Gospel the gospel's on every page of Scripture, but this morning, in a special way, we take up a study of what the gospel is. We take as our theme, knowing our mediator from the Holy Gospel. And we look at that theme under three points. First, we look at what the gospel is. Second, we look at the progressive revelation of that gospel. That's something brought up in answer 19. And then third, knowing the gospel. The first point of the sermon takes up the bulk of the sermon this morning. What is the gospel? Well, children, young people, maybe you know this, but the word gospel literally means good news or glad tidings or a happy message. We're talking this morning about the happy message. More specifically, the word gospel refers to the good news regarding Jesus. Right? You might, you might have good news that you receive at work tomorrow or good news in your family or at school, but the good news we're talking about here is specifically the good news regarding Jesus. And even more specifically, the word gospel refers to the good news regarding Jesus that he is our mediator and that through him we have deliverance from our sin and misery. The gospel is this, Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen again. Jesus was crucified, and he earned salvation for God's people. In and through Jesus Christ, you and I, as believers, have a full and complete forgiveness of all our sins. That is good news. Now, to help us understand what the gospel is, let's dive into this a bit. And we can first say this, that the gospel has to do with God's promises. There's an intimate connection between the gospel and the promises of God. And the way we can put it is like this. In the Old Testament, when God spoke concerning his promise of salvation, 
That was God speaking his gospel. That was God giving good news. The gospel is the announcement of the promise of the Savior. And every time that God had something to say to his people regarding that promise of the coming Savior, God was giving them the gospel. And he was enlarging upon that good news. And in the New Testament, the gospel is now the announcement that those Old Testament promises of God have been fulfilled. The promised Savior has come and he has done the work that God commissioned him to do. That's gospel. That's good news. And the good news is that even still today, Jesus is our Savior, our mediator, who is still fulfilling God's promises regarding even leading us to eternal glory. To help us understand this, the relationship between the gospel and the promise, just think of the very first time that God announced the gospel. Genesis 3 verse 15. The Catechism makes reference to that. We all know Genesis 3 verse 15. God speaking to the devil in the hearing of Adam and Eve, announcing the following. This is the promise. I will put enmity, God says, between you, devil, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now that was a promise. That verse contains what we call the mother promise. But that verse is also the gospel, the announcement of the good news. Namely, God was saying in that verse, I will bring salvation to my people. Through their fall into sin, Adam and Eve have fallen and become friends with Satan, and they are children of wrath at enmity against me. But this is what I'm going to do. This is my promise. I will change that around so that I will instead put enmity between the woman and the devil because I will make the woman to be of my party and her seed and those of the seed of the woman to be of my party and instead of being at enmity with me they will be my friends and they will be at enmity with the devil that's good news the point is whenever God spoke promises regarding the salvation he would provide in Jesus Christ he was speaking the gospel and I bring this up because this is exactly what we read in Galatians 3 verse 8 in Galatians 3 verse 8 we read And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now that's the promise God gave to Abraham. The promise, in thee shall all nations be blessed. But Paul, the Holy Spirit, speaks of it in this verse as the gospel. The scripture preached the gospel. Abraham, in you, all nations shall be blessed. That's gospel. The point is, the promises God spoke to his people in the Old Testament was the gospel. But don't just think of the Old Testament. Think also of the New Testament. Just think for a moment what Peter and Paul were doing when they were preaching in the book of Acts. When they preached the gospel to the people, what were they actually preaching? Well, yes, they were preaching Jesus Christ, but they were also preaching how Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises. That God spoke to his people in the Old Testament. God promised to send a savior, a mediator, the seed of the woman, who would suffer and die and rise again and save his people from their sins. And here's the good news that we proclaim to you. Jesus of Nazareth is that savior. God has fulfilled his promises. That's the good news. 
And that good news is not just for the Jew, it's also for the Gentile. It's for all who call upon the name of the Lord in true faith. What I'm emphasizing right now is that there's a close connection between the gospel and the promises of God. When you look at our confessions, you see that same connection. For just one example, Lord's Day 25, question and answer 66, regarding the sacraments. Lord's Day 25, question and answer 66, we have this question, what are the sacraments? And the answer, the sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals, appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof, He may the more fully declare and seal unto us the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel. And what is that promise? What is that gospel? Namely, that He grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. That's God's promise to His people. He gives us the forgiveness of all our sins on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished. God has promised good things to His people. That's the gospel. In and of ourselves, we deserve bad things. But God, in His grace, has promised us good things through Jesus Christ. And part of the promise of God is also this. This is the promise of the gospel. Whosoever believeth in Christ crucified shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the canons of Dort. That's good news. You don't have to work for it. Simply believe. All believers in Jesus Christ shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Because having Jesus through faith, they have that mediator that they so desperately need. That's the gospel. That's the happy message of the Scriptures. That's what the Scriptures are all about. The happy message that there is a mediator and all who believe in Him shall be saved. So from where do we as believers know that Jesus is our perfect mediator? Fully man, fully God, perfectly righteous, and He is our complete redemption? We learn it from the gospel, from the promises God has spoken to us in His word and the fulfillment of those promises which are also recorded for us in God's word. Now to be more precise, to go a little bit further about what the gospel is, we can say a few things more. First of all, The gospel is not an offer. The gospel is not an offer. Rather, the gospel is the particular promise, right? That's what I've been emphasizing. It's a promise. It's the promise that God gives to his elect and precious people in and through Jesus Christ. And beloved, a promise is not an offer. A promise is a sure word. And here's the issue. If the gospel were merely an offer, that God offers salvation with the idea that there's still something that depends upon us, well, that's not good news. Because as we've all seen from the catechism already, we can't do anything towards our salvation, not even choose to accept an offer. The gospel is not this. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be happy, but you must meet a condition. If that's the case, we're all doomed. The gospel is not, you must be born again. That's not good news. The gospel is not, repent and believe. That's not gospel either. That's not good news. The gospel is this. Jesus, the gospel is not this. 
Jesus has died for your sins, and now you must ask Jesus into your heart. This is the gospel. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. The promise, the sure word. The the gospel is this. Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and thee. That's a sure word. The gospel is this. Abraham, I, freely of grace, have given you Jesus as your everything. Believer. That's who Abraham was. That's who we are. Believer, who is my friend, whom I have chosen to be my friend, and I've drawn you to myself with irresistible grace. Apart from anything you say in this matter, this is what I have done. I have made Jesus to be your everything. I have made him to be your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption. The promise of the gospel, as we've already seen, is this. All believers shall be saved. Because the gospel is this. For you, for you who are God's precious and elect people, who call upon the name of the Lord, who fear the Lord, who confess the name of Jesus, who are believers, for you there is salvation from all your sins. All who believe in Jesus Christ, all who have true faith as a gift of God, to you is this salvation promised. And you have it as a sure thing. You cannot lose it. You are God's elect people. He has secured for you eternal life. He's restored you to his favor. That's good news. And every Sunday, the preaching enlarges on that and brings out that beautiful message from one point of view or another point of view. Whether we're talking explicitly about Jesus' crucifixion or his resurrection, or we're talking about his work of regenerating us, or, or even as we're looking through the book of James about how we who have been begotten with the word of truth must now live as Christians, all of it is tied into the gospel. This is who you are. Now, let's explore that and what that means. And now with that gospel preaching also comes the, go- the call of the gospel. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Every week again, repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and live accordingly. And to anyone here this morning who is not a believer, the call also comes to you. Repent and believe the good tidings. Look to Jesus alone as your Savior. In Jesus, there is peace with God. Believe that. And confess that for yourself. Why will you perish in your sins? There's salvation in Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus really is who he is. And enjoy. Enjoy the good news. So that's the first thing. The gospel is not an offer. The second thing to point out is this. The gospel is the holy gospel. That's, I put it that way because that's how answer 19 of the catechism words it. From the holy gospel. Why is the gospel called the holy gospel? Well, precisely because this good news is set apart from all other good news. As I said earlier, there's good news we receive about work or about family or school. But this good news, this is holy good news. It's set apart. And it's holy because this good news is news that comes from God himself. 
This is news that comes from above, not from below. In fact, this is a good news that could never even arise within the hearts of sinful man. It's a good news that, that couldn't even have entered into the heart of man to conceive, to even ponder, except God first reveals this good news to man. That this good news is something that no man could have, had, could have invented. Right? For, for all the young people with all the, with all the fantasy books that they're reading, and, and maybe, maybe even the, the comic books and, and uh, Marvel and, and DC, none of those storylines match the glorious reality of the gospel of our salvation through Jesus Christ. Just like the Holy Bible is not from here below. It, it's, the word Bible means book, right? This is not just an ordinary book. This is a book set apart because it's the book that has come from heaven. It's inspired by God. It's the breath of the Holy Spirit. And just so the gospel, which is the message of the Holy Bible, the gospel itself is not good news that comes from below, but it too is good news that comes from above. The gospel is holy. Now to to really understand what the gospel is, we want to do one more thing as we delve into this question, what the gospel is. And that is this, we need to make a very sharp distinction between the gospel and the law. And I bring that up because that's really the purpose of the catechism here in Lord's Day 19. We might not see that right away, but it's there. Notice the language of question 19. Whence knowest thou this? Now, if we we would really know our catechism or, or we've been studying this, we would say that wording sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Because it's exactly with that same wording that Lord's Day 2, question and answer 3, raised its question. Whence knowest thou thy misery? Remember that? Whence knowest thou thy misery? Out of the law. Now here in Lord's Day 6, question and answer 19, the catechism has come to the point where it wants to ask us a similar question. Different in content, but similar in form. And the point here of the catechism is to make a contrast. Whence knowest thou this? That is, whence knowest thou thy deliverance? Whence knowest thou that thou hast a mediator who meets all the requirements, who's able to satisfy God's justice? Whence knowest thou, second, point of the, second part of the catechism, whence knowest thou thy deliverance from thy sin and misery? Out of the Holy Gospel. Whence knowest thou thy misery? Out of the law of God. Lord's Day 2. Now... Whence knowest thou thy deliverance out of the gospel? Law, gospel. The law shows us our sin and misery. The gospel shows us our deliverance. So there's a contrast being made here in the catechism. And we need to be mindful here that we're talking about the law and the gospel in in a very narrow sense. When we talk about the law, we're talking about what God requires of his people. You, you could talk about the scriptures as a whole as God's law, but, but here we're talking strictly about what God requires of his people. And when we speak about the gospel, we're speaking about what God has done for his people. Now we could talk about the law even in, a, in more than one sense, right? That's what we're doing in the book of James in the evening. Talking about the law as the law of liberty. The law as it now comes to me as my friend in Christ, showing me, guiding me into the 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 path of, of life that I've been brought into in Christ, that, that life of freedom in Christ. 
but we're not talking about the law in that sense. We're, we're in the catechism. We're talking about the law in the sense of how can a man be saved? Can he be saved by keeping the law? That's how we're discussing the law this morning. Well, it's that contrast then between the law and the gospel that also explains what we read from Galatians chapter 3. Because in Galatians 3 as well, the apostle is making a very sharp distinction between law and gospel. And the apostle does that because there were Judaizers who were confusing the the Galatian churches. And these Judaizers, these heretics, were telling the people that the law is the gospel. Or at least that the law is part of the gospel. Meaning this, that part of the gospel of your salvation includes this, that in order to be saved, you need to keep part of the law. And what the Judaizers were saying is that you need to get circumcised and basically become a Jew. So what they were saying is this, what Paul's preaching is a good start, right? Jesus has died for our sins. You need Jesus, that's for sure. But to be truly saved, you need more than just to believe in Jesus, You need to keep the law. You need to get circumcised. You need to become a Jew. Maybe even you need to obey some of the Jewish food laws. That would certainly help you out. In order to enter God's favor, you need to have more than just Jesus. You need Jesus and your own keeping of the law. And here in Galatians 3, the apostle is condemning that heresy of the Judaizers vehemently. And Paul emphasizes, you're not saved by the works of the law. Who has bewitched you? Oh, foolish Galatians, that you would even think this. That's not the gospel. That's not even part of the gospel. In fact, to add your own keeping of the law to the gospel is to destroy the gospel. It's to make the gospel another gospel, which is no gospel at all. That's what Paul is emphasizing. Now, to make this contrast between the law and the gospel very clear, we can point out a few things, a few differences between the law and the gospel. I have three things to point out. First, when you compare the law and the gospel, there's a different message that each one brings. Because the message of the law outside of Christ, right? That's how we're viewing the law. The message of the law outside of Christ is this. Do. 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 You need to do something. There's something yet that you need to do. That's what the Judaizers were saying. The message of the gospel, on the other hand, is this. Done. 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 Christ Jesus has already done it all. There is no more doing for you to do because Jesus has done it all. You don't have to keep the law in order to be saved because Jesus already kept the law for you as your mediator. He is your wisdom. He is your righteousness. So you see, the the two messages are completely different. Second, when you compare the law and the gospel, they have different requirements. The requirement of the law is this. Obey what I say and live. Work. Work. Obey everything. Obey everything perfectly. And then that's how you can be saved. The requirement of the gospel, however, is much different. The requirement of the gospel is this. Believe. Don't do. Don't work. But believe. Simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And here we need to point out the fundamental truth that our activity of believing is not a doing. It's not a work. 
Faith is not a work. In fact, that's one of Paul's main points in Galatians chapter 3. The one who is righteous before God is not the one who works, but the one who believes. Believing is set in opposition to working. Believing is not a work, but believing is exactly the activity of embracing Jesus Christ and His works as my righteousness before God. Working, on the other hand, is the activity of rejecting Jesus' works and offering up my own works as my righteousness before God. The law says work. The gospel says believe. Two different requirements. And then third, when you compare the law and the gospel, they also have different outcomes or different effects. The effect of the law is that the law brings the curse of God on an individual. Because the law says, do this, work. And then the law points out all your sins and says, you failed. You're not doing what I'm telling you to do. So you are cursed. That's the law. The effect of the gospel is this. It brings blessings. The gospel brings peace and joy and righteousness because the gospel says, Through believing in Jesus Christ, you are made a partaker of all that Jesus is and all that he has done. Really, we should even say it this way. The effect of the gospel is that the gospel is what saves. As Paul says in the books of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That is, the effect of the gospel is that it delivers us from our sin and misery. Instead of more misery and more sin, which is what the law brings to those who are outside of Christ, the gospel brings peace and hope and joy because it's through the gospel and it's through the preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit works faith and life in God's people. Now when we turn to Galatians chapter 3, this difference between law and gospel is clearly seen. Notice, for example, first of all, verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The point there is this. Abraham didn't do works to merit salvation. Abraham didn't keep the law to earn salvation. But Abraham believed the gospel. He believed in Jesus Christ. And he enjoyed salvation through faith. Verse 9 says that those who believe are blessed with salvation just as Abraham was blessed. So then they which be of faith, those who are believers, are blessed with salvation with faithful Abraham. The point is, it's not through your works. It's not by becoming a Jew that you're saved. And it never was. Even Abraham, the father of the Jews, was saved by faith. But now look at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law, you know, trying to get salvation by the works of the law, are under the curse. For it is written, Deuteronomy 27, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. We saw that last week with James. You don't don't commit adultery, you don't do this, you don't do that, but if you kill, you're guilty of all. If you don't continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, you're cursed. If you look 
for your, and the point is, we are cursed because we know we don't keep the law that way. But as verse 13 says, for those who believe in Jesus, Jesus bore that curse of the law for them. So that through Jesus, we might escape that curse and instead enjoy God's blessing. He was made that curse for us. And the gospel is this. Those who live by faith, those who embrace Jesus Christ with the true and living faith, they are the seed of Abraham and they are heirs of the promise. And that's where the gospel and the promise are intimately connected together again. They are the heirs of the promise, the promise of salvation, the promise of the gospel. Don't turn to the law for your salvation. If you do that, you're putting yourself under the curse. Simply believe. Turn to Jesus, for it is through faith that you are made partakers of the gospel promise. Through faith, you are incorporated into Jesus Christ, made a member of his body. And then the logic in this chapter is this. Since the promises of God were not just spoken to Abraham, but they were spoken ultimately to the seed of Abraham, who is Christ, verse 16, and since you are in Jesus Christ through faith, well, that makes you also an heir of the promise. Heirs according to the promise, verse 29. What promises? The promises of the gospel. The promises of deliverance through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Now all this might raise the question, that first point was the lengthy point. Briefly, why was the law then given in the first place? If salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then why was the law even added during the days of Moses? And that leads us to consider the second point, the progressive revelation of the gospel. The reality is, Already in Genesis 3, verse 15, God gave Adam and Eve the whole gospel. When God spoke Genesis 3, verse 15, Adam and Eve were given the whole gospel. They were given the gospel. They could believe the gospel by grace. Through hearing that gospel, they could put their faith by grace. They could put their faith in Jesus Christ, looking ahead to the seed of the woman. But the reality is, after Genesis 3, 15, God also continued to unfold and to reveal more fully the beauty and glory of that good news. What did we read in Galatians 3 verse 18? Or 3 verse 8. We read that God preached the gospel to Abraham. And when God preached the gospel to Abraham, God went into greater detail regarding what that gospel also included. So that God revealed to Abraham, in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That was something new. The seed of the woman would come through Abraham. Then you have Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage, and there are more details about the gospel being revealed. The mediator, Moses as a type of the mediator that God's people need. The passage through the Red Sea as a, as a type of regeneration, being brought into new life. It's pointing us all to Jesus. And then you have Mount Sinai. They come to Mount Sinai, and God gives them the law. From, Mount, from Moses at the top of Mount Sinai, evidently through the hands of an angel. That's... that's Seems to be the instruction of verse 19. And the question that Paul is facing in Galatians 3 is this. If Abraham was saved by faith, right, then what about the giving of the law in the days of Moses? And what Paul says is this. First of all, 
The promise to Abraham was first. The law was given 430 years later. Verse 17. And those laws that God gave Moses did not and could not annul or change or cancel the promise that God gave Abraham. The law that God gave His people at Mount Sinai could not fundamentally change the nature of the relationship that God had established with these people in Father Abraham. God had unconditionally promised Abraham eternal life and salvation through faith. Rooted in the promise of the Savior, Abraham looked ahead to the day of Jesus Christ. And the point Paul is making is this. Legally, when you've established a relationship, when you've established a covenant, you can't change that 430 years later. You can't change that after the fact. That's not even the case with men's covenants. You can't establish and ratify a covenant and then 430 years later change the terms of that covenant. That's verse 15. And when God gave Moses the law, God wasn't suddenly telling Moses that there was another way God was going to save his people, namely on the condition of their obedience to the law. No, that's not the case at all. That was the perversion of the Pharisees and the Judaizers. That the gospel God preached to Abraham was was now suddenly changed into another gospel, salvation by works. That's not the case. It's not possible that that could be the case. And second of all, what Paul is saying is this. The law was added to further lead the people to Jesus. The law was added so that the people might more firmly fix their hopes on Jesus. So that they don't look to their own works to save them. Because the point of all the laws was this. You can't keep the law. You need a mediator. Look to Jesus. And then in addition to that, God also gave the law practically to protect God's people so that the law served as a a tool to keep them separate from the other nations around them. And then as the catechism points out, the laws were given so that through all the sacrifices and the ceremonies of, ceremonies of the law, the gospel of Christ might be put on, more, on greater display. The point is, the law of Moses was not contrary to the gospel, but the law of Moses was under the gospel, and it served the good news. The covenant that God made with Abraham 430 years earlier, was still in force during the days of Moses and Mount Sinai. In fact, the covenant that God established with Abraham is still in force today. After all, didn't God say, I will establish an everlasting covenant with you? And does not the Bible say, Galatians 3, that you and I are the seed of Abraham? So we are heirs of the promise with Father Abraham. The law was given never to replace the gospel, but to serve the gospel. And isn't that exactly how it is as we go through the catechism? We might ask, why did we go right away to Lord's Day 2 and, and study the law? Why, why, why are we still, Lord's Days 5 and 6, emphasizing God's justice? His justice must be satisfied. Why are we doing that? Exactly so that through our consideration of the law, we might see more clearly and more uh, fully, the beauty of how we are delivered from our sin and misery only through Jesus. And we might understand what the gospel actually is. And we might be encouraged in our faith to believe and only believe and not try to add our works as part of the basis of our salvation. Well, that's the progressive revelation of the gospel very briefly, leading the people to see more clearly who Jesus is. 
Well, we have one more matter to deal with, and that's this. What does it mean to know the gospel? How does a person come to know the gospel? From where do we know the gospel? Well, from where do we know who the mediator is? That's from the gospel, from the scriptures, you might say. But now the question is, how do you actually know this gospel? And maybe this has been assumed throughout the whole sermon, but let me state it explicitly. A person comes to know the gospel through faith. That's exactly where the catechism is going in Lord's Day 7. What is true faith? We come to know the Holy Gospel from the Scriptures, and we come to know the Holy Gospel through faith. Faith, which holds for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word, and faith, which is also that confidence that also to me were the promises given. Remission of sin, righteousness, everlasting life, freely given me of God only for the sake of Christ's merits. We'll touch on this next time as we get to Lord's Day 7, but now let me end the sermon this morning with this. Beloved, as we've gone through Lord's Days 5 and 6 and we've seen the requirements for what our mediator needs to be, what we have seen is that God has provided such a mediator. God has given us Jesus Christ. He is our complete redemption. He is our complete Savior. Beloved, in your own thinking, in your own walk of life, you must take nothing away from Jesus, and you must not try to add anything to Jesus either. What you must do is simply believe in Him alone. In Him, there is a full forgiveness for all our sins. In Him, we have everything we could ever want or need, life and fellowship and peace with God. Believe these things, beloved. Humble yourself under the gospel. Call upon the name of Jesus alone as your Savior. How do you know you're saved? Are you going to look to your own works? Well, that's right where we are at the end of James chapter 2. Works are the evidence of a true faith. But I'm not looking to my works as the basis for my salvation. How do I know I'm saved? I'm saved by knowing the gospel. The very gospel that proclaims the Lord Jesus Christ as my complete salvation. Because I'm a believer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in God's promises. Look alone to Jesus. And thou shalt be saved. And then then the works. Then the works will also be there as the sure fruit of a living and active faith. Beloved, may the Lord give us strong faith. To keep looking to Jesus. Keep coming to a greater understanding of who he is and what he has done. And keep humbling ourselves. That's what we need to do when when we exercise faith. Keep humbling ourselves under the glorious wonder that this is truly who Jesus is. He is my everything. And he has done all that he has done for us. And we just rest. We just rest in him. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, 
we thank thee for giving us the faith to believe and to know Jesus, to see him and to look to him and to embrace him, to cling to him and appropriate him, to receive him and know him as our own. We thank thee, Lord, for the good news that this salvation is a free gift and it is given to all us, we whom thou hast made believers in Jesus Christ, which itself is part of the gift of salvation. Lord, may we rest in Jesus, humble ourselves so that we truly confess and we enjoy the truth that it's all of thee. It's all taken care of already. And it's all freely given. What shall we render unto thee for the salvation that thou hast given? We, we can't even pay thee back anything. Lord, we pray only give us the grace to enjoy it, to rest in it, that that might also honor thee. And then to thank thee for it with a life defined by thankfulness towards thee. We thank thee for this preaching. We thank thee for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.